and she was like, oh, you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't sleep last night either. But it's because the, uh, you know, we watched a horror film just before we went to bed. You didn't watch a horror film, did you? And I was like, I watched a horror film, then I went to bed. Then I woke up two and a half hours later and then I watched two more horror films. <laughs> <laughs> to try to get me back to sleep. Yeah. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. And I'm Dave. And this week we commence a new, short, spooky season of 70s Southern Slasher films. A lot of S's there. It's very, should... very precise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a bit niche, isn't it? But what do you expect from a podcast that had a whole season dedicated to Michael Wincott? <laughs> <laughs> it's best season we ever did. Yeah, best podcast ever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, this week we put the most notable 70s Southern Slasher, if not one of the most famous horror films of all time, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on trial. Is it... Chain mail, or is it faux leather? <laughs> Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, before we go on to the trial, let's talk about our last trial, which was the 1992 family comedy film, The Mighty Ducks. Dave, you judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. You've since gone away and you've watched the film. What do you reckon? Did you make, did you make the right call or not? I did. I did. And I'd already seen the Mighty Duck, so I already suspected I'd made the right call on this one. But it was it was well defended. It was quite well prosecuted as well, to be honest with you. I did chuckle when I was like seeing Gordon Bombay go out on the lamb at the end of the film. <laughs> I was like, Alex makes a very good point. He's really <laughs> broken some rules here. So yeah, I, yeah. I now see and I think I always will see it in that new light. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that argument, Alex. But um <laughs> as good a job as the prosecution did, I do think the defense made all the right points. And yeah, it is it's a nice, gentle family classic, you know, but a 90s classic as well. It's it's a bit of a throwback for people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's a nice film. It's a very pleasant film. Even even the bad bits, they're not so bad. So it's uh you know, yeah, in, I made in a way, call. you kind of in, you kind of enjoy the problematic elements. Sometimes everything's a little bit too neat these days, whereas yeah. having a little bit of should he be banging the uh you know, the... <laughs> Yeah, it's like ah, it was the nineties. Who cares? Yeah. But why is he driving on an ice rink? No, no, sorry, not an ice rink, but a frozen lake. Frozen lake. A limo yeah. with 16 kids in his car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's all these problems, and yet you just don't care. Yeah. It's a yeah. nice film. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that summary there, Dave. Uh, now on to the trial itself. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, and all of today's insults are descriptions of different types of chainsaw as taken from expertreviews.co.uk. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list is me. And I'm just like the Ryobi OCS 1830. Relatively lightweight. Good saw. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks. Relatively lightweight, pleasant in use, dispatches smaller branches with ease, but larger logs take a little longer with the occasional <laughs> stall during particularly difficult bits. Goodness me. No one's laughing at that as much as you are, Cap. You're enjoying yourself here. 
<laughs> Sorry, I I had a very Please good with time. yourself, Gavin. <laughs> I had a very, a very good time getting these reviews. I'm just uh, I'm just getting ready to cry, Dave. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what yours is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> now, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Alex, and Alex is just like the DeWalt DCM five seven five. Not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> he may be the fastest here, but he doesn't compromise on power. However. Once exhausted, he needs 75 minutes to recharge his batteries. <laughs> oh, that's... I'll take 75 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. And in the role of judge who has to decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Dave. And Dave is just like the Makita UC3541A. Powerful, easy to use, and exceptionally well built. Yes. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I, ha- <laughs> I have been eating more. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> I will take that. <laughs> I, I must say that I wrote my uh, argument on the way home from work on the train and I was finishing off a, a little presentation that I was doing on one side of my screen. And on the other side, I had a split screen of a summary of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a pretty gruesome picture of Leatherface and underneath reviews of chainsaws. And the guy was sat next to me on the desk, <laughs> looked over at one point, and he gave this look as if to say, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> he wasn't wrong, Gav. You know what I mean? like he's, yeah, to be fair, he's, he's right to be afraid. Yeah. Now, before we get started on the film, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what the film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. And that has landed on me. So how would we like me? Well, basically what we do here is we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. So how would you like me to read the synopsis for Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, As a chainsaw, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Or, or, Dave, and you know what I mean, it's a good idea, or as a rootin' tootin' Texan. Yeah, I think... think Either, Either one's good. But not like not one of those classy Texans. One of those proper deep south. Oh yeah, like yeah. like Leatherface and his family kind it's of Texan. Dangerous. I don't want J.R. Ewing. Oh no, okay. no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Dangerous and extremely menacing Texan, please. Okay, exactly. All right, I'll try. I'll that, try. Or you can just scream for twenty minutes like Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just make pig noises. Um, okay, I'll try. Five friends head out to rural Texas to visit the grave of a grandfather. On the way, they stumble across what appears to be a deserted house, only to discover something sinister within. Something armed with a chainsaw. Nice. Very uh, well, nice. You might want to put a warning in for people to like turn, turn, turn the volume down. I'll, yeah, I'll when you edit, started, I thought it was volume. the Martians from Mars Attacks. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> I tried to incorporate a bit of a chainsaw in there. That was, so good. It was that was good. Part I got Texan, the, part chainsaw. A rusty chainsaw. A really rusty chainsaw. Yeah, I think you need to have a, a lozenge. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good, though. 
Yeah, thanks, done. thanks, Dave. So, without further hesitation, Dave, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yep, certainly can. Okay, so I'm judging this one. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre before. I've seen it a couple of times, but you're in luck because I actually don't really have particularly strong feelings about it. You know, I know it's revered as a classic. I get that. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily see it in that same light, but uh, I don't necessarily agree with its critics either. So this really is. I am fairly neutral, even though I've seen the film. I do have a sense of neutrality on this one. So it is all to play for, so don't hold anything back and pretend like I haven't seen it before. Spare me no details. Hit me with what you got. Let's start with the defense plays. Why is this a good film, Gav? Lovely stuff. Thank you very much, Dave. This is, um, I was just going to say, one of the best horror films ever made. No, it's uh, not. I'll give... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've heard all I need to hear. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting a childish. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, please, please try and chip away with your chainsaw, <laughs> with, with your little Ryobi or whatever it was. Uh, the, the, I'll give you just a general overview of the, the story in case it's been a while since you've, you've seen it. So it basically starts with, as I said before, Sally and Franklin Hardesty, who, along with three friends, travel to Texas to visit their grandparents' graves as they fear that they've been desecrated. Along the way, they encounter a creepy hitchhiker and a fire and brimstone type gas attendant who informs them that there's no gas to top up their truck. They make a stop at the grandparents' house and take in the surroundings. One by one, the kids come across a neighboring house and go inquiring if they can borrow or purchase some gas from their generator. But one by one, they all fall victim to the human face mask wearing terror that is Leatherface. Sally makes her escape, but is captured by the gas station attendant and is taken back to the house where Sally is then subjected to an incredibly disturbing family meal with the gas station attendant, Leatherface, the hitchhiker, and a hundred-odd-year-old grandfather. Uh, Sally then escapes and is chased down the road by a chainsaw-wielding Leatherface as she drives away to freedom. That's it, essentially, in a nutshell. It's a simple story told magnificently well with unflinching yet nuanced brutality. It was one of the first films to use the whole based on a true story hook, which really added to the horror of the film because there was a genuine belief by many who watched this that this really did happen. I'll go and talk about the horror elements of it in more detail later on. But at the time, it was one of the most original and evocative horror films ever made, and it quickly became a classic. One to this day that is still regarded by many as one of, if not the greatest horror films of all time. Okay. Thank you very much, Gab. Just a quick follow-up question for the defense. The based on a true story point. I mean, that's that's not true, though, is it? It's just, this this didn't happen. It, well, uh, it, 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 is, it is a lie. That's what I want to ask the defense. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. Uh, but but that, that's the thing. So inspired by true events, you could say, because some of it was taken from the uh, serial killer Ed Gein and that, that inspired some of the acts. Mm. So uh, the, the, the family basically create furniture out of animal bones and carcasses that is very ed that. Gein, yeah, yeah <laughs> very ed Gein inspired the uh ed, ed, ed Gein collection collection by john lewis yeah. Pot- uh, exclusive pottery barn ed Gein collection uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly <laughs> but i bought the actual crime itself it wasn't a, a true story but mm. they said it you know the, this little introduction that says this is based on untrue events yes. and you know at the time this this was this was a trick that hadn't really been done. I don't know if before or, or at least that much. So that really helped sell the film and create this sort of like this 
there's aura around it. Obviously, it's been done time and time again, you know, Blair Witch Project and many, many more since then. But at the time, this was quite quite original to do, I think, even if it was a lie, probably definitely helped with regards to marketing the film. Thank you very much, Gav. Okay, Alex. Um, Gavin tells me this is a very evocative film. It's a quite um, it's inspired a lot of horror film directors. This is kind of a linchpin of, of horror, really. No one had done what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre had done before, but many have tried to emulate it since, was essentially his point. This sounds promising. Mm. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that noise said more than words. <laughs> so I've... Um... I've never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre until like a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm not joking. And I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm serious here. I had to keep stopping the film and like Googling and checking on Amazon Prime that I was actually watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because <laughs> I was like, I cannot be watching. This is this is some cheap knockoff of the Texas Chainsaw Because the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as I know it, is some sort of like huge thing of horror that is like, you know, massively influential and a classic film. It's not this tinny piece of shit I'm watching right now, right? It can't, it can't be, do you know what I mean? It can't, it cannot be. So I had to keep stopping it and checking. And it was like, no, 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 this is the, this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It like, just to go into the story, you know, it starts with this long journey where you've got these people on the, on the, on this little like minibus going somewhere. And it's like a student film. It is like you're watching something that's been like, created in a sixth form and I just mean in like the camera angles I mean in the performances and stuff like that it is it's very low it, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest and say later on later on in the film there are some instances of actual good direction but for the first half of the film especially this journey in the car you are just looking at one shot of up and then another shot in the car and then another shot in the car it's pretty appalling it's pretty appalling stuff it looks pretty bad you, they get to this house and then there's this long thing with these different characters. You've got the, you know, the, this brother who's in a wheelchair who's feeling very, uh, you know, a bit, uh, you know, jealous of other people who are having fun. These two couples who are beautiful going and enjoying his house, going and sort of, you know, having fun, starting to go to creeks and, you know, swim naked and all of this stuff. And then uh, boom, 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 uh, three of them get killed. Like the, the massacre, the massacre of three of them, it happens within one of them goes into the house bonk out another one goes into the house bonk and then bonk bonk and then they're both just out and it's like right well the massacre just seems to have happened it didn't really seem to have much there wasn't a lot of gore to it there wasn't a lot of you know setting it up or anything like the massacres kind of happened like okay that didn't really impact me very much and then it gets to this pretty long damsel in distress like most of the the back half of the film is this just damsel in distress? And I know it hadn't been done before and it invented it. I'm not entirely convinced that it's a good thing to invent, but it's just a long thing of this, you know, of, of, of is it Marilyn Burns running from bit to bit and then running back and then running forth and, and acting quite well. You know, she screams an awful lot, but, you know, all of that stuff, this first, this front half of the film when you're getting to know these characters and, you know, oh, so so what? Where's this going to come into? His, you know, his 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 being in a wheelchair. Will that be a factor later when he's in a mask? No, Leatherface just drills a chainsaw into him, and that's that's pretty. Much <laughs> it. That's that's that. It didn't really matter if he was, you know, uh, you know, in a wheelchair or not. The other people just walk into a house that is clearly very creepy and just get bonked on the head. So it's um the first half of the film just feels completely irrelevant. I think mm -hmm. if I'd started the film, um, at about the 
I mean, it's only a short film. It's what, like, you know, it's 79, 89 minutes or something like that. It's not even an hour and a half. But I think if you started the film at about the 40-minute mark and it was a short film, it'd work much better. But that that first half is incredibly poorly acted, incredibly poorly shot, and completely irrelevant to the rest of the plot. And, uh, and unforgivable. Unforgivable. <laughs> for, the, for the poorly acted, poorly directed, or just in general, unforgivable. Yeah, yeah, for all of those reasons. For everything, everything just unforgivable. <laughs> all of the above, Steve, yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I mean, that pretty damning stuff there. I mean, unforgivable, Gav, unforgivable. Uh, um, poorly acted, poorly directed. It, it tinny piece of shit is essentially the phrase that was used. I don't uh, think he said that. I think you... He did, oh, he did. I'll say, D- Dave, it's a tinny piece of shit. I'll say it, <laughs> I'll say he, it now. He very much said... He, I, I can't He's going to underline this. that now, Alex. It's a tinny piece of shit I am. Thrice. Thrice I underline it. Uh, yeah, it, it just looks low budget, essentially, I think was that Alex meant. It's... Um, mm-hmm. It's, it is low budget. Well, yeah, but it I mean, looks... it, it is. It looks low budget because it is low budget and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, some of the best horror films of all time were low budget, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Night of the Living Dead, Halloween, Blair Witch Project, even Saw. You know, like a lot of these films that have gone on to become classics were made for a very, very small amount of money. And you know, this is like their first project pretty much outside of uni. And when Alex says it's like poorly acted or it's a little bit tinny or whatever, I would argue that it actually feels quite believable. It's quite raw, quite authentic. You know, like I, I felt like that <laughs> I'd let Alex, you can laugh all you want. But that bit at the beginning where they're like friends on a trip, it it, it literally did feel, it felt natural. If you were watching like the, the, the uh, Blair Witch Project years later, that sort of bit where they're actually driving to the woods and they're just shooting shit and just chatting in the van. It felt the exact same. Well, it, obviously that's probably been inspired by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It just felt like a bunch of friends just talking. The, the only reason that I think that we don't separate it or, or that we, you know, is that they feel different is because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is made like a documentary, whereas this is made like a film. So maybe it, it highlights the fact that, it, that they are actors acting parts. But I think that the, it was it was authentic. It was it was it was raw, and I also liked that the, the it felt like a group of friends who were on a drive together. Like Hooper encouraged the group to spend time together beforehand, and I thought that you could really tell that from watching the beginning of the film. And um, Alex's point about I can't even re- remember what was your, what was your second point. Now I was so aghast. <laughs> oh yeah so yeah um, it was it was I about mean, um yeah he, he, said, he said there was mind gap do you know what i mean it just blew, <laughs> it blew you away he so, said so... the first half was essentially poorly acted and poorly directed there was some good direction later on not much gore blessedly short film um and yeah marilyn burns just basically it, it started the whole trope of what's it called last girl yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Alex said damsel in distress, and, and that's not true. I, I, actually, it's it's the, it started the whole sort of like final girl thing, which yeah, is sure. slightly yeah. different. So, damsel in distress yeah, yeah. is where you need somebody to rescue them, whereas final well, girl no, is somebody. Who, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. And 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 I think that she uh, she does a good job. Uh, you know, Alex didn't say that she she didn't do a good job. I think that she is probably one of the most iconic 
final girls in horror history and her character like really really goes through the ringer you know, she's chased by this chainsaw wielded maniac several times she sees all of her friends brutally murdered she escapes the hill the killer's home twice by jumping through two different sets of windows she gets beaten up she gets bruised you should just jump through the same one sure on different floors dave you know what i mean she's not gonna <laughs> say oh actually sorry uh killer i'm not gonna break this window because i've already broken another one can you just let me uh let me out upstairs um <laughs> But, you know, she gets battered and bruised along the way and to basically end up freeing herself, surviving and becoming, well, what we, we know as the, the first recorded survivor of Leatherface. Uh, but the character is really brought to life by Marilyn Burns, who did all of her own stunts. You know, she absolutely battered herself in dedication for this film, genuinely hurting herself jumping out of those windows, cutting herself on branches and, and trees when she was running through the woods. She picked up multiple injuries along the way on set. Wait, One of her which, fingers was which cut. Which side are you on on this? Are you, <laughs> you I was going to say, this This says a lot for Marilyn Burns. It doesn't say a great deal for Toby Hooper. <laughs> the director. <laughs> no, but, but I would say that the film was made for a very low budget. And if you read anything or if you watch any of the behind the scenes documentaries about it, it was a brutal filming yeah. schedule. It was it was done very, very quickly in the the Texas heat. I think they were having like a record heat wave. A record Texan heat wave. Yeah, yeah. And and it, you know it was it was quite an intense shooting schedule as well. And I think that all of that was probably hell for the actors, but watching them back in interviews years later, they say about how much it heightened the the performance, I think. And when it comes to Marilyn Burns's performance, it is fantastic. Towards the end, like you really think that she's in in, in genuine peril. Maybe because she was. Yeah, <laughs> number of injuries she picked up. It's like I mean, yeah. did I read right at some point that it was an actual chainsaw? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them Absolutely. to be honest. I would think yeah. that there would probably be safety precautions in, in place, but uh, yeah, but maybe they did use some real I mean, chainsaws. It, it could have been a real chainsaw with the chain removed, you know. It's maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm sure I read somewhere that Gunnar Hansen was running around with an actual chainsaw at one point. I mean, yeah, I, I and, probably... and that wasn't his choice to do so. <laughs> that wasn't his. That's not him being the mad bastard in this one. So, can, can I just say as well, Dave? So, Alex mentioned a, a point before about it not being like you know very brutal or, or graphic. Yeah, and I uh, think gore. That, he said there's yeah, a lack of gore. I think that is one of the best things about this film is that this film has a reputation of being one of the most brutal and unflinching horror films of all time but it's surprising just how little gore there is and just how effective the horror is without showing too much uh, you know like later on i can talk more about the the horror aspects of it and just what makes this such a great horror film but i think that in itself in that you know like maybe it's the marketing, maybe it's like people watching it for the first time who hadn't seen anything like it. Maybe it's the fact that it spawned so many um, imitations that like people remember years later, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being this really gory, graphic, brutal film. But actually, it is quite tame by today's standards, but it, but it is still truly horrific without showing too much. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, just a quick point, actually. I called him Toby Hooper. Is it Toby or is it Tobe? Toby. It is Toby because it's spelt Tobe. Normally we see Toby with a Y, but he's got an E on the end of it. So it's like, yeah, it's it's uh, just like the chocolate, Toby Larone. Toby Larone. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> glad, glad we've cleared that up. Um, okay, Alex. So Gav's come back on quite a few of your points there. He's defended the final girl trope. Um, he says Marilyn Burns gives a, a fantastic performance and really threw herself into this performance, like literally in some cases through windows and whatever. Uh, gave this everything she's got, uh, as did most of the cast and crew by the sounds of it, who worked in quite arduous conditions to make this this film all it could be. Um, do you have anything to come back on there? Have you got a few other points that you wish to to bring up to damn the film? Yeah, I think just Gav kept saying about Marilyn Burns's character, and that's my issue. I think with a lot of Gav's t- uh, is talking about is there is no character to you know you, you I don't think you could describe Marilyn Burns's character using three adjectives. You know what I mean? She is yeah, she ultimate she final girl. She, <laughs> so. she does. She doesn't give up. She's very sore right she, just, she runs. Her cardio her cardio is pretty good. You know, it's it's not bad. But as an actual character, it's non-existent. You know what I mean? Her, her interactions with the other, you're not even totally sure who is 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 there. They they're together and they're not together and they're that. You know, there is literally no. I would I would say in 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 any more than any film I've seen really, there is no attempt to really characterize anyone or to put any sort of you know, you know. The, the, normally, in the first part of a film, you you plant some seeds mm-hmm. that then comes later in the film. Yeah, something that then later, you know, builds and generates, and, and you find something out, or or someone overcomes something. That doesn't happen at all in the film. Four of them in the car are just cannon fodder. They're just chainsaw fodder. You know, they get thrown on a meat hook. Da 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 not even really mourned and, and job done, they're out, you know. Franklin is an interesting character and he just gets chainsawed. And yeah, obviously she's traumatised by it, but there's just nothing more to him. And it's just it just seems a shame because Franklin's an interesting character and, and, that, and that's, his, that's all he's got to say. And then it just turns into Marilyn Burns. And, and I, would, I would agree with Gav on the fact that she gives a good performance as a final girl. I just think that the, the performance itself just sort of comes out of nowhere because really... She's not been in the first part of the film. So it's not mm-hmm. like we're interested particularly in this distri- this distress, apart from it just obviously being ridiculously distressing to be chased with a chainsaw. I would also say there are some just unforgivably tinny bits. Like, you know, there's a bit where at the end when she's running away from the family and you are like, she's not running that fast. She's literally just not running that fast down that gravel path. 100% the hitchhiker and Leatherface, Leatherface could catch her there. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, th- th- this needs to be done again, guys. Do you know what I mean? There needs to be a bigger gap between her before the other people run out because this is like, well, they've got her, but they haven't because that doesn't make sense in the story. And that for me, when you're talking about the slasher and the horror thing, it's like, it, it almost goes into some sort of like, you know, when you're walking through a haunted house and someone chases after you and, you don't run fast enough and they kind of catch up to you. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're obviously not going to like assault you. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, you, know, it's, it's like, you need oh, to go to a know, better class like, of haunted house, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we needed Leatherface to like trip over or hurt his knee or, you know, walk around. Or, it, it, it's it, it's kind of like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. th- that level of, of, of incompetence, I would say, at, at certain bits. And, you know, to give the film its due, there are certain moments of, you know, there's a there's a shot at the end, and it's very famous for a good reason when Leatherface is sort of dancing, you know, she's got away and he's dancing with the chainsaw. There's a bit where she's sat at the table and it sort of goes into her, her you know, there's a close-up on her eyes. 
and it's well done, you know, but th these are brief, brief moments of, oh, this, this guy can, you know, do a good shot or two to this guy just has no characters. This guy has had a, a character pop up out of nowhere uh, running around. It's very 70s in certain aspects as well. You know what I mean? There's, there's a bit where one of the characters is walking to the house and, it, and it's basically just like the camera is just right down at the floor shooting up her as it goes, you know, along. So, so there are certain, and I know it's the 70s, you know, but there are certain stuff that dates it as well. And I'd say, you know, yeah, I'd say, I'd say a little bit, the sort of the final girl thing in itself is a bit dated and 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 watching it in a modern way you just think mm, no <laughs> not 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 in today's world the most interesting things as well i'd say sometimes are the you know are the is this family you know you've got this the old man who's he's in ridiculous prosthetics and I, you know you could you could go on about that but it's a low budget film so you know you can use your imagination and get past it but again there's like there's a bit of a vein of interesting characters there that the film just doesn't explore. And it goes into this kind of like, oh, they're just all weird. And it's like, no, what make, you know, I'm not saying we need to go into what makes a man, you know, run around with a chainsaw and try and kill everyone. But a little bit of like, what is Leatherface? Why has he got these different masks on? Why, why is the dad a controlling person? You know, you know, there are certain questions that just get lost in it and, it, and, and it's, and it's, and it's upsetting. So again, I'll just come back to the thing of like the first half just has almost no relevance whatsoever and could just be edited, I think, wholesale from the film. And then the next part just has interesting things that just aren't really delved into. And a lot of it is just watching Marilyn Burns run around a house being chased by people who are much faster and more able to catch her than, than, than they're allowed to do by the limits of the story. Okay, thank you very much. So again, some some good points from Alex there. He says very seventies, which you know it was made in the seventies, fair enough. But he has dated the film in some way. There's no character to Sally, and that that is a bit of a problem. You know that mm -hmm. could undo the good work done by starting off the final girl trope. Uh, he says there are some good moments there. You know, Franklin's an interesting character, I heard. There are good moments. There's some interesting bits, but they aren't delved into. There seems to be a story of missed opportunities and uh, getting past the shit make. Oh, he says you can get past the shit makeup. You can give it a break on certain low-budget aspects, I think is what Alex said there. Mm -hmm. um, but there's others that you just can't look past. And, yeah, the missed opportunities is a bit of a problem. No character to your heroine. That's another problem. Yeah, um, well, to come back on the stuff that Alex has raised there, I would be lying if I said that the kids are fully developed, fleshed out characters. But I think that is often the case with slasher films. More often than not, you have one or two protagonists, some maybe potential stronger supporting characters that you get a little bit more information about, and then a bunch of people that are there just to be murdered, essentially. And although the characters aren't as fully developed as they could have been, as I said, what I did like earlier was the fact that you've just kind of thrown into the situation where you're just in, in the car with them. And it's almost like you've just arrived like midway through a conversation. You don't know anybody. They're just talking about stuff. And I quite like that because it felt quite natural. It, it like sometimes like you watch these films and they feel very like, oh, hello, you're my brother. Uh, what did our mother say to both of us before we left on this trip? And it feels a little 
bit forced it, like Even the, when they're just introducing character and doing basic narrative stories. yeah yeah whereas <laughs> it's this it literally felt like you know you're just thrown into a situation where you expected to know who the fuck these people are and what they've been doing and i quite I quite like that you know like admittedly they could have done more they could have done had better character arcs they could have had better motivations you know like why did they all decide to go to the house or whatever it might be um but i, I quite liked how also hooper subverts our expectations early on as well by having the heroes overpowering the first villain that we're introduced to which is the hitchhiker they bring this this guy on board and he turns out to be a, you know a, a few picnics uh, sorry a few picnics short of a bigger picnic yeah but like they they basically are very capable in uh, like getting rid of them and it shows there that they're really strong working as a unit. But then later on in the film, when they split up, that's when they become vulnerable. I, I think that, yeah, there could have definitely been more to Sa- uh, Sally's character as well. But as I said, I think that she had enough there. She started off as this sort of like maybe a little naive um, young girl who's basically thinks it's okay to just walk into people's houses and ask for gas and think there's going to be no repercussions to at the end where she's like the ultimate fucking badass. So there is a character development the for ultimate. her there. Sorry, no. Well, well, I, well, no, not the ultimate. It's not like she's you know Sigourney Weaver an alien, but she, uh, she's she's not as good as running as she is at the end. She's she's up to cards. Yeah, to well, I did watch I did watch some really good behind the scenes shorts, and they were talking about that. And you know, this is like at the end of a very very grueling. <laughs> shooting schedule and she's just fucking knackered she's like pretty much probably got heat exhaustion yeah, yeah. and also the, you know it's a, the, it, like it's at night time that she's doing most of this running as well so visibility is reduced because they use a lot of natural lights and also she had at this point probably run into several trees so she was also not as fast as Gunnar Hansen so when you go back and you watch it, like there's an interview with Gunnar Hansen when he's like, yeah, uh, you know, um, Marlon's told go and then I'm told go like, you know, 20 seconds afterwards and within about five seconds, I'm right behind her. So yeah. I've got to like kind of bide my time. So if you watch it back, you can see him kind of like tripping over stuff and slashing out and just like at one point he, he runs into a tree and then he gets annoyed at the tree and starts twat it with this chainsaw <laughs> which I thought was quite funny it's just sort of like oh get out of my way um, and, and you can see him like kind of then like having to think that like oh well instead of running straight he starts running in zigzags and and that you know it's all done in like in what one continuous shot or, or you know several longer takes where you you you, you think that maybe like Toby Hooper would have been like oh cut we're gonna plan this but actually, I think he was maybe wrapped up with it and thought, like, I like how this is going. It looks quite believable. It doesn't look staged. It looks like, you know, this is somebody who's unhinged, just fucking going berserk with a chainsaw. Let's keep it in. And so I quite like that about it. Um, the, the bit about the this, this very 70s aspect of it, yeah, but I, I completely agree. Uh, I watched an interview with Terry McMinn, who played Pam, whose arse it was that appeared on on the <laughs> on the camera. That is like a, one of the iconic shots because it's like a really long, continuous one take that goes underneath the bench and it follows Pam all the way up to the steps. Like really, really good shot. Like technically, how they've done it. And I watched this interview with Terry McMinn, and she was just like, 
the first time I saw that, I was at the cinema. I think she was with her parents or her, or her partner's parents, or whatever. And she's like, oh my God, there's this like 10 foot, <laughs> my ass just on the screen, basically. And she was like, I was absolutely mortified and felt so embarrassed about it. And then she was like, but looking back at it now, 40 years later, I'm like, oh my God, what a great ass. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of things that I, I agree, like slightly with Alex on. Um, stuff could have been better. I do think that Franklin's a really interesting character. He's also one of the most whiniest and annoying characters in horror history. And he's fucking perfectly played by Paul A. Partain, who just was brilliant. He's, he was quite a method actor. And he, um, I was watching an interview with Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface. And he said, like, oh, I just did not get on with this guy at all, you know, in, in, in when we were shooting this film he just did not like me and then years later when they met up on the circuits he was like this guy was like my best friend and we were talking about our great time i said i thought you hated me you know like you 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 really didn't like me and he said oh yeah i was really quite into character and you know my character i I tried to avoid you as much as possible and when i did see you you know i was afraid or i was annoyed or upset or angry at you because i was upset at the character so he's like oh yeah that makes sense but why the fuck did you tell me that and why did we speak for like 30 years (laughs) but i think it's also really interesting because it's the inclusion of a disabled character in a film like this was pretty refreshing at the time and perhaps it could have been uh, the character could have been better developed in hindsight and not being so much of a victim or or an easy target as he was at times but it it is still interesting watching it back today it does make me think how much further perhaps we need to go with regarding to you know including um, certain protected characteristics in films but it is still refreshing to see a disabled character like this in a film from the early 70s so uh, yeah there's certain things that I'll agree with Alex on the certain things that you know, I, I think you know is, is chat and bollocks but <laughs> like one thing that I think outweighs all the negatives that Alex might raise or that any faults that you might have with the film is just how well the horror is portrayed basically which I'll I did want to talk come to you about I was going to stick with you on this one because I did. We we spoke about that before. You said there's horror aspects that you wanted to discuss, and we kind of just left that on a meat hook for the time being. And I, <laughs> I want to take it out of the freezer now and find out what that was about. So, um, oh, so I'm actually going to stay with Gav now, and then I'm going to come back to Alex to get his comeback on these horror aspects. So Gav, stay with you. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Yeah, as I said before, it's it's wrongly thought of as like quite brutal and unflinching. But as I said, there's it's surprising just how little gore there is. There's there's no nudity, there's no profanity as well, um, which shows you just how you, how you can make a truly memorable horror film without any of it really. I'll there's... be honest with you. If someone came out with a chainsaw, I, there would be a blue cloud. <laughs> like um uh, what i I like it in it is uh, the jump scares so jump scares are horror tropes that have now become all too common and in some cases uh, generic like in in certain horror films today but here they were just really unique and i still believe that they hold up to this day the unexpected appearances of leatherface are genuinely frightening Uh, hooper played around with frame rates and pacing in the editing process so he like he quickly cut to something else or reintroduced a jump scare, either slightly shorter or longer than the audience would expect. So we'd kind of like watch it back and be like, right, this would be the perfect time for the jump scare. No, I'm going to leave it a few more seconds, a few more seconds. And instead of it being just like bang loads of music or something comes out, then the face just appears and just like opens the door, twats him on the head. There you go. And you look, what what the hell was that? Is that it? Is that done? You know, it is quite like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that. It is genuinely surprising. 
And these scares are often amplified by Toby Hooper's use of sound and light. Hooper used, as I said before, natural lighting throughout. And the scene where Franklin is shining his torch in the crops while they're sort of working their way towards the house and only to discover Leatherface is brilliantly done, how it's just done with just the torchlight, how, you know, it's going through the crops and then all of a sudden there's his face looking back at you. Then you've got the technical aspects as well, which I think are just, for, for, for the time, 1974, 1973, and for the budget, uh, probably about four pounds, absolutely brilliant. You got Robert Burns, who was uh, working on the the props and the sets. He did a great job creating some truly disturbing artifacts and furniture out of bones and an assortment of other items. And then the soundtrack as well. Hooper used a number of industrial sounds and animal noises throughout the film, not just to provide the jump scares, but to also add atmosphere and or help to disorientate the viewers. There's actually very little soundtrack or like pieces of music in the soundtrack, essentially. It's all this kind of mechanical industrial noise throughout with like animal grunts and growls and whatever added to it. It is it's quite disturbing to listen to. And then talking about Leatherface as a horror villain. When we think of slasher films, we perhaps think of Halloween and Friday the 13th, where the villains slowly stalk their prey and shamble through the darkness. Here, as I mentioned before, you've got this villain who is this hulking six foot four brute, but he's also surprisingly nimble. Hooper often doesn't give you time to panic. You know, there's no sort of like drawn out cat and mouse. There's no sort of like he appears and then he chases and then he strikes. It's literally just he appears, he strikes, it's over, that's it. It's this quick ferocity that catches you off guard. And in my opinion, adds, adds to the terror of it all. And another thing that I really like about the character as well is that we get a glimpse of him away from the horror, which I think is a really, really interesting aspect, which I don't believe we see too much in slasher films, or certainly not at the time anyway. It's almost like seeing, a, you know, like having a clip of Jason Voorhees on a cigarette break or something. <laughs> it's, it's just... There's this scene which is where... like poking through the holes of his hockey mask. Yeah, it's it. So there's this scene that after Leatherface kills Jerry and Pam, he goes into the living room and he's a bit frustrated. He's, he, you can see there's this inner turmoil and he's like, what the fuck is going on here? Where are all these kids coming from? And why do they just keep on coming into my house? He's just like shaking his head, like what's going on? And I think it's a really interesting scene to include. And it adds another sense of believability to the character and to the situation, because in a way he's, he's almost like defending himself really. And uh, I'm not saying that, you know, like I'm a defensive <laughs> leather face here. Those kids deserved it, but you can see how it's, how he's working it through in his mind. And um, I think that it's, the, the horror as well, a lot of the horror is amplified by just how much of it happens during the day. When we think of knife-wielding slasher films, a large majority of them take place at night where the killer lurks in the shadows. But a lot of the horror in Texas Chainsaw happens in the light of day where there is nowhere to hide. And it's also refreshing and even more terrifying that this doesn't play, take place in some like hidden shack in the deep backwoods of Texas somewhere. But relatively out in the open, it's just off a main highway like several cars go past to and from the final iconic scene 
that Alex was talking about of Leatherface chasing the pickup, frantically waving his chainsaw. That's like on a main road in the cold light of day. And it is truly memorable and horrifying as well. And when you do finally have scenes filmed at night, namely the family dinner scene, it's shot with natural lights, which helped to create this really, really creepy aesthetic. And apologies that I've been going on about it, but I just think there's so many fantastic horror elements here. But finally, another great aspect for me is just how well Hooper builds tension in the film, whether it be with the slow walk to the farmhouse that we were talking about before, that every single character makes, where we know something evil is lurking behind the door, or this the unease that we feel when Sally searches through the house or at the dinner when the head of the family is lining up this killer blow with the hammer over Sally's head. The tension throughout is just palpable. And Hooper is a master at drawing this out of the audience from either, as I said before, using slightly longer or shorter cuts or there's like really interesting camera angles or one shot takes he utilizes everything at his disposal which really adds to the overall horror of this okay thank you very much gav alex was going to give you finally a chance to come back on these these horror points no profanity no gore no nudity uh no cheap tricks with the jump scares leatherface is a decent villain you know, get a glimpse away of him away from the horror he's interesting there's more of a character than just this mindless knife wielding maniac you know it, uh, the technical aspects are great as well in the use of sound any of these points you wish to challenge gavon yeah i think you know I think I was like, oh, you know, da, 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 listening to Gav. And then there was just that final point. And I literally, my post-it note was just, there is no tension. <laughs> <laughs> that was the main thing. When Gav said Thanks for sharing tension. the actual note there as well. Yeah. When, when Gav said that there was tension throughout the film, I absolutely think this is the main thing in the horror that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is lacking. I would say that it's innovative in the sense that it's not even trying to build tension. That is possibly, I would have thought, more of a selling point for it than to say that there is tension in it. You know, the fact that, like, you know, Leatherface just sort of jumps out of nowhere and he's, you know, his face is there. It's not when they're going through the woods, for example, when, when um, you know, Franklin and his sister are going through, Sally, going through the woods. It's not like, you know, there's, you know, Gav said there's no soundtrack, so there's no... There's no way to build up the tension through music. There's no, there's no like, oh, what's going on? There's no hints of sounds or anything like that. Like Gav says, bump, he's there and he's sticking a chainsaw into Franklin. And that's just, it's kind of out of nowhere. And yes, it's shocking. And, you know, I'd say that's where a lot of the value of the horror maybe of Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes. It's shocking, but it's certainly, there's no tension. You know, like Alfred Hitchcock said, you know, if you could explode a bomb, or you can show a, a clock ticking down slowly to a bomb being exploded. The audience is going to be grabbed in. There's none of that, you know, like, and like, you know, and, and, you know, I'm just parroting what Gav was saying, you know, uh, one of the characters walks into the house, literally walks, opens the door, walks down about two meters into the hall, Leatherface opens the door and bonks him on the head. He's down, his girlfriend comes in, he puts her on a meat hook and then she's shoved in a freezer and the next guy goes in and he's bonked on the head as well. There really is like no tension. You're not thinking oh, this guy's walking through the slow build. And, you know, we can say this is the 70s, but, you know, Psycho built did this incredibly well years, you know, decades before. You know, this is an exploitation film. Let's remember the, the whole point of the film was to to shock and to get people to watch it for, you know, for being for being a shocking film. And it does it completely at the expense of all tension within the film. So. When Marilyn's running through the forest, that's not even tense. It's it's this kind of just, you know, and, and it's got its own charm. That's what I would say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
in a certain way, but it certainly isn't a tense running. You know, you, you're sort of thinking, well, she's the only one now, so he's certainly not going to grab her and just, you know, chainsaw her to death here. You know, is, there's certain things that just, yes, there's no tension, but it makes it completely ridiculous. You know, the fact that they clearly can catch up to her becomes obvious then because they're not trying to slowly build her being right or, you know, where is Leatherface? There's no hide and seek element to it. It turns into a bit of a, just a, a Benny Hill chasing around and around the, you know, she round a table almost, you know, for jump scares. I didn't see any jump scares, you know, and I'm extremely susceptible to jump scares. I can jump scare in a, you know, in a Disney film, this, this just had no <laughs> jump scares whatsoever for me. It would be different because of what jump scares have become like since then. Gone. It's gone. just so sort of like gone, noise. But when I say jump scare, like the first, uh, the, the, the first death, where yeah, like where he just opens the he just opens the door and it's a move of the head that is like a wow that's you know that was yeah, that was no, very wow. surprising yeah a wow yeah. I would say like whoa you know whoa where's that come from you know I didn't I didn't see that coming it's it's a shock it's a surprise and you know like it like again I'll say that's got its own thing going but there's no build up and there's no catharsis to it because there's no work put in to build up to that point so the death is surprising. It's, you know, you could say shocking, but it, it doesn't feel meaningful in any way uh, to, to the audience, I, I, I would say. But I think later on, there's, 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 you've got the tension with regards to, to Sally, like that whole, that, that, that's really where the tension is. The rest of the massacre that you said, yeah, which yeah. happened in a short amount of time, that <laughs> is like shocking, that's surprising, that's brutal, that comes the out text, of nowhere. The Texas Chainsaw Chase. I think would be a better name for this film. That's, that's, the bit, that's the bit of the film that's interesting. The actual massacre is really, really, really quickly done. You know, mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Chases is is the better part of the film. But yeah, like, I I just think you know, like you've even got so let's say the bit where the the building up the tension and she's at the dinner table and this is I'd say the point in the film where it does the best job at trying to build up some tension. You know, Sally sat at the table. She's got these people sat around her. They're talking, you know, she, it's very, it's incredibly distressing the way they talk to each other. And she's, and she's just completely traumatized. You know, Marilyn Burns, again, I, I don't, I think she does a good job. She's, you know, her brother's just been chainsawed to death. There's not that sort of, she's gone over it in the last 10 minutes. And now she's, you know, giving them what for and having some, she's completely gone. You know, her, she, her mind is gone. And, it, and, it, and, and I would say as a final girl, she, she's one of the better ones, to be honest, you know, not just the first, but first of best. But then they decide to kill her by bringing a bucket over and putting a hand in the guy of this guy who does not have very good prosthetics on his face, who's trying to like limply hit her on the head with a hammer. And then the tension's gone because it's it's kind of Benny. We're back into this Benny Hill absurd, like, get him, get him. And, and, and it just, it doesn't seem to work. And then they start hitting her and then she runs off. And, and it's like, what? You know what I mean? It's like you had this, and, and I would say the best part of the film for me, apart from maybe dancing around there's this bit where she's sat in a chair and her, it's focusing on her eyes and, the, and the, you really you do really get this sense from her that she's you know she's been pushed past the point of all sort of sanity and it is it is well done um but then it's like followed by this slapstick-esque bit with her head in a bucket trying to hit her with a limp hammer and then not getting it and and i mean this is the thing isn't it she she just runs off that's how she escapes the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
she just runs off and, and she's not very good at running so it, it doesn't make uh, she she, she jumps into a into a pickup truck and it drives off no, no, like I, I know, but, but she's in she's in the house they've got her head over a bin and they're trying to hit it with a hammer and it's not like she has some great thing where you know she uses something or she saved something and she saves herself because she's got this thing that she's got or whatever there's no sort of like story being told with any part any part of it she just stands up in a moment and runs off and they chase her and she gets away. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that like every horror film needs to end with the villain being killed. No, no, no. I think not just getting away is, is, is enough. But it's not tense. And this is this is the thing. That final scene, like where he's chasing with the like, and he's No, not down that road. No. The the bit where she's in the chair, yeah, built built up a bit of tension and I was go and I was there. Then her head gets put in a bucket and it just dissipated for me. And then she's running down this road where the two character, the two actors can quite clearly, easily run. They could literally be running rings around her. We've covered this bit. We've covered this bit. I know. Sorry, but you know, <laughs> but that, but that's what I'm saying. The tension, any tension that's been built by 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 you know, arguably a good bit, has has dissipated. So it, it's got its own charm. But as a tense horror film, it, it has none of it. And I think the films that came later put that tension in. So that's why you've got, you know, even, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street or any of those ones, you know, sort of 80s slashes, they start building in a, a certain level of tension that was just completely, you know, so, so it's a horror film. It's a classic horror film that has no characters and no tension. And, and, as much as it may influence, you know, then I, I don't know if we can look back and say it's a good film. We can say that it's, you know, it was a genesis of good, better things, but <laughs> in itself, no. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. I, I think I've heard all I need to hear, unless anyone's got any final points they want to make. Uh, all, I, all I'm going to say is that this is one of the unparalleled horror greats. And if either of you thought that I banged on about Suspiria too much after it was wrongly placed on the shit list, then this will be to the extreme. You won't be able to leave your house ever again without fear of me jumping out of a bush with a leather face mask on. (laughs) I mean, tempting. Tempting. (laughs) I would just say, if we had all at Sixth Form made this, I'd be pretty proud of it. And yeah, but also probably wouldn't show me anyone else that I know now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the films that we made in sixth form were much, much worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much, guys. Have we got anything to kill any time? Any quiz? Or are we? Yeah, yeah, I, I've pulled together a quiz. Uh, initially, Ozzy was, was supposed to be doing the quiz. Um, That's why I was wondering. I was skeptical if we had one. Yeah, <laughs> but unfortunately, Ozzy couldn't, couldn't attend the recording today. So in honor of Ozzy, I've, I've created an Aussie-like quiz, one of those sprawling ones. <laughs> <laughs> Proper stream of consciousness quiz. Yeah. To follow, yeah. Mainly the quiz is trying to think the logic that went behind the quiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Uh, you know what? It's surprisingly fun to do. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's start off. Ten questions here, guys. Uh, number one, Gunnar Hansen famously portrayed the character of Leatherface, but what was the name of the youngest member of the 90s boy band Hansen the one who numerous people mistakenly thought was a girl for a period of their career. Uh, I thought it was the middle one that everyone thought was a girl. I thought it was Taylor. No, I think it's the smallest. I think it's the smallest, smallest one. one. Um, I don't know. Taylor's the one I know of. 
Okay. A very, very American name. Brett. Corey. Oh, it begins with a very unusual letter. Javier. <laughs> with a Z. Zachary. Yeah, Zach. Well done. Zach, Zach. Zach. <laughs> you know, they're still big. You know, people, I know people who will queue up for a day to watch Hanson. It's yeah, it's the yeah. nostalgia thing. It's the yeah, nostalgia yeah. thing yeah. about it. You know, it's like it, it, me and Kat were talking about Backstreet Boys the other day. It's like, you know what? I didn't like him at the time, but I kind of have a nostalgic appreciation for the Backstreet Boys now. But, but I, if, I, if I, they tour again, do you want to see him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend in university who was a massive handsome fan, but as in, didn't appreciate this sort of like '90s pop bit, but appreciated them as songwriters like afterwards. So that's completely something else. <laughs> anyway, before we turn it into... I know someone once said to me, I appreciate them as songwriters, and, and I'm surprised my eyebrows didn't explode. So there we go. It's a common theme. A common theme. <laughs> anyway, back to the quiz. Number two, Leatherface, not to be mistaken by the George Clooney film Leatherheads, which is not about human skin-wearing maniacs, but is instead about what? Um, SNN? <laughs> I was going to say either bikers or basketball. I don't know. Dave's on the same, uh, on a similar line. It is a sport. Uh, He's a lot of oh, yeah. Well done, Alex. American football. Yes. Number three, American S&M's football. football. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right. Uh, American football was also at the center of the 1999 film Any Given Sunday. But which team did the film focus on? LA, LA team, wasn't it? It's it's a bit more south. South, San Diego. No, uh, I'll tell you, it's Miami. What might they have in Miami in, in the waters there? Oh, you could have said a bit further south and on the other coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I, I, I was I was going that way, but I realised that's probably not helpful. A little, a little further south, but a lot east. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, dolphins. Uh, no more aggressive sharks. Well done. The sharks were famously <laughs> one of the... this quiz. <laughs> no, the sharks were famously one of the teenage gangs in the 1961 film West Side Story. But what was the other rival Jets. gang called? Well done, Alex. The Jets. Benny and the Jets is the song that Catherine Heigl's character sings along to in the 2008 romantic comedy about a woman who was served as a bridesmaid how many times? 27. 27. Well done, Alex. Yeah, 27 dresses. The 27 Club is a 2019 (laughs) horror film about two individuals who are drawn into a sinister underworld whilst trying to discover the truth behind the famous case of the 27 Club. But which rock and roll legend left us far too soon and joined the 27 Club on September the 18th, 1970? 1970. Hendrix. Well done, Dave. Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was the focus of the 2003 biopic, Jimmy All Is By My Side. But which singer turned actor turned singer again played the part of the rock icon? Uh, is it Andre 2000? Well done, Dave. 3,000 Miles to Graceland is a 2001 <laughs> black action heist comedy about a gang of ex-cons who rob a casino during Elvis Convention Week. But which devilishly handsome man played the lead character of Michael Zane? It's got well to be Kurt Russell. Well done, Alex. <laughs> Kurt Russell. This was the second time Kurt Russell played Elvis, the first being of one of five collaborations with which filmmaker? John Carpenter. 
Well done, Dave. John Carpenter, Master of Horror, John Carpenter also collaborated with a number of other horror directing greats during the 1993 anthology horror film Body Bags. But which titan of horror directed the third segment in that film about a cornea transplant gone wrong entitled The Eye? Rob Zombie. No. Dario Argento. No. Bearing in mind, this is the last question. Toby Hooper. Well done, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see what you did there. You used Aussie's algorithm, as I'm starting to think of it, and you just mm. basically brought the quiz around to Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. it just naturally went that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. You know, I, yeah. I see the appeal of being inside Aussie's head now. It is quite a fun place to be if you just go with the flow and you know, go man. with the stream of consciousness. <laughs> he's, a happy, happy, he's a very happy, happy man. Chaotic man. <laughs> <laughs> But happy within his chaos, you know. Which yeah. he's, he's ha- he's ha- he will die Aussie. of a heart attack at the age of thirty-six, but he'll be happy about it. He's thirty-six <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, okay, very good quiz. Thank you, Gav. Uh, and yeah, I've had some time to go over my notes on this one. It's it's not as cut and dry as you may think. I know it's appreciated as a as a horror classic, and I know the influence of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is still felt today. I mean, I felt the influence when I played Resident Evil Seven. You know, even today in video games and films, people call back to this film. But, you know, we were just, we've talked about nostalgia elements. It could just be that. It could just be that the directors who remember seeing this film as a kid uh, and feel fondly towards it as it was at the time have been inspired by it naturally and have just trying to kind of carried on with their own thing since then. But like, as Alex suggested, maybe even surpassed it in terms of quality. So I had to break down the film and look at the points. Now, I liked some of the points that both Alex and Gav agreed. Not much gore. I mean, Gav said not much profanity, nudity or gore at all, really. You know, it really, um, it did pull its punches on those fronts, which I kind of like. You know, it, it stops you from getting into into video nasty territory, you know, like Cannibal Holocaust or any of those other films. And I respect that. And, you know, from the sounds of it, the direction is actually quite good. I'm not so sure about his uh, duty of care towards Marilyn Burns, but it sounds like Toby Hooper, uh, did direct a good film. We got some good shots, some good use of natural lighting, uh, some good editing, some good use of sound. In particular, where Gav was talking about the uh, the mechanical and anim- animal aspects uh, in terms of the sound, that that is quite impressive. Also, not much of a soundtrack to speak of, so he doesn't rely on music. I like that there, there are jump scares, according to Gav, although Alex disagrees, but they accept that those jump scares, if they are there, they're not cheap. I do feel like a jump scare these days has become a bit of a cheap trick. You know, it's a, it, it, someone hits a drum at the same time someone comes out of a door or something and you'll jump. Of course you will, because some twat just hit a drum behind me. And, and it's, it is a cheap shot. It doesn't necessarily mean that the film is well made or that that scene has been well shot. But in this instance, not having the sound and not relying on that does imply that maybe Toby Hooper was confident enough in his craft that he's delivered the de- uh, decent jump scares here. It also seems that he got good performances out of his cast. We agreed that Franklin and Sally are, are well-performed. Uh, it's a shame about the characters, although Franklin, we said, had a character. Sally, not so much. That is a shame for your protagonist, so that is a point against the film. Leatherface, as well, is not just a mindless villain. We see that side room that Gav explained where away from the, the nimble ferocity uh, and the lack of grace, there is there is someone in there. There is someone quite confused and frightened behind this this masked maniac. And that is nice to see. You know, it's it's uh, it gives a bit of human character to this character, which you often lose because, you know, Freddy Krueger, Mike Myers, Jason Voorhees have become kind of supernatural boogeymen, essentially, in the slasher genre. Leatherface, as far as I know, has remained human throughout the sequels and the remakes 
Uh, and that that does speak to the humanity of the character. That all the horror happens in the daylight. That is a point for the film. That is different, I will admit. Tension. Now, this was a big issue. I believe that Alex is absolutely right when he says the tension kind of ebbed when you're down to final girl. I think once Marilyn Burns is left on her own, you, you kind of feel like we've got another 20 minutes of the film yet. She's going to be all right, or she's going to at least live another 20 minutes. But I do think there was some tension earlier in the film. And Alex talked about a ticking clock that Hitchcock talked about. I think your ticking clock is the very title of the film. I think because people have sat down to watch a film called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I feel the audience is spending that first part of the film when's the massacre going to happen do you got someone going into a house you got someone walking through the woods in the dark they at that point the audience is tension has already been ramped up i feel so i think for the first half of the film it got away with tension for the second half of the film though i think alex is right that is a bit of a problem no catharsis and no tension there the slapstick s bucket scene i do recall and i think alex might be on to something there um i can't hold too much against it for its low budget uh nature like gav said there are plenty of other Low budget might be a derogatory term for them. Indie films, films that didn't have the budget or the clout of the big Hollywood franchises, but still managed to deliver something effective and influential. Blair Witch Project was probably the big one of our generation. I think we all remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre was probably that of the generation before ours. Uh, so I don't, even though the, Alex said the prosthetics are bad and I believe him and some of the effects are bad and I believe him. I'm going to give it a break on that front simply because it is an indie film and it is low budget. Mm -hmm. It also came up with the final girl trope, which we mentioned, um, which did kind of do away with the damsel in distress trope that we put up with before. And for the better, I think, I remember watching Terrifier 2, which has probably one of the better final girls I've seen in the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lauren Levera, I think, did a great job in that. And it is now that Marilyn Burns, I don't believe, is an ass kicking final girl. Lauren Levera was. And the character of Sally kind of lays the groundwork for better final girls that came along since, I feel. But it started that trope. It started that ball rolling, having uh, a female protagonist in danger save herself, essentially, even if it is just running away. You know, she doesn't have to take them on or fight them like they're doing Terrifier 2. Just leg it. You saved yourself. No one had to come rescue you. Good for you. And I think it deserves kudos for that. Mm -hmm. All in all, there's a lot against the film. I think Alex has made some very good points. Clunky dialogue was another one I've just seen there, and I think he's right on that front. But I think there's enough going on for the film here, and it innovated just about enough, and it was done with enough. Even Alex admitted it had its own charm. Enough charm and enough class and enough innovation that I think this film is worth a watch. And I think even though it's got its flaws, this film deserves to be on the hit list. Oh, thank you very much for a really great summary there, Dave. Um, I will say, so I'm not quite sure if this uh, maybe led you down a path is the very first uh, final girl. I know that uh, Last House on the Left by Wes Craven was I think a year previously, and that was that was a but it became our well. I retract my judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Too late, you've done it now. Do it, no go back, no backsies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, fi final. Um, well, I mean, genuine opinions, really. I'll quickly give mine. To be honest, looking at it by today's standards, some of it may seem quite simple. Some of it may seem a little tinny, a little low budget. But it was one of the first of its kind. 
and it is now held up as an industry standard. Any sort of like cabin in the woods type film or any slasher film will be forever likened to this. And that just goes to show how, how great it is, basically. It, it might not be the scariest thing that you'll ever see, especially if you're watching it for the first time in 2023. But for a film that was created almost 50 years ago, to still be as shocking and unsettling without being graphic, that is truly something special. And I think this is 100% on the right list. Thanks, Dave. Uh, and Alex, genuine opinions? Maybe you don't share the same thoughts. I think it's a lot more incompetent than than, than we've sort of, you know, I, I think it is fairly incompetent at the beginning of the film. And it's like that first bit, I was like, I cannot believe this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is like a student film. And yet I think it should be on the hit list. It's weird. And I, and I can't quite put my finger on why I quite like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I think it, there's just something about it that kind of works. I, I still would say that first bit in the bus, the hitchhike is pretty good, but the rest of the characters, I, I just think, don't have a massacre. And I know that seems like bad to say, but I just wish they didn't really have that massacre bit. It seems irrelevant and pointless. But, you know, I don't know why, but halfway through, I just thought, oh, I'm kind of enjoying this. I quite, quite like this film. <laughs> I think it's quite good. So it's a weird watch for me because I think because going in, I had never watched it because I thought this is just going to be an exploitative, gory, you know, horrible film to watch. But Gav's, you know, spot on when he says that it's it's just there isn't gore. And so fair enough to the film to be able to make a film that does feel gory without actually showing gore. I, I think that's what by the end really drew me to the film. And I think it's that last bit and Marilyn Burns's performance in it especially that for some reason even after the film I was like oh no no that's that's terrible that's terrible that's terrible and about three days later I was like it was all right actually like it was, that was a pretty good film like you know so yeah weirdly enough I uh, I don't I don't 100% know why but I uh, I think it's on the right list thanks thanks Alex yeah I I think that that is like a real craft that is like a, a real art form to to create something like that without being too gory and I watched several of the sequels and remakes after this, and it is something that has been lost on every subsequent director since. You just know, gore. it's it's just gore. It's just like unnecessary shocks, and it's just you know, it's just crass in comparison. Oh, really, was, which one was the one with Dennis Hopper? That was the second one. Um, which, that was that was the second one. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, Dennis um, can do so much better. <laughs> it's weird that it's known as being. It's just like you know, it's just in the zeitgeist of being so gory, and yet there is no. Is there any blood in it? Like, is it? It's it's very it's little. Tiny, I think that Toby Hooper. <laughs> I, th I think I think he was trying to get a, the lowest possible rating that he could, basically. <laughs> he, was trying, he was trying to get like a PG rating for yeah, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Even so. I was so. going to bring up my argument, but I just thought, nah. I know it's bizarre. Even so, he separated the words chainsaw. So it was two separate words on the poster. So it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre to try and be like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not even a chainsaw. But then again, you've got Massacre there. I suppose you could do Mass Acre. Yeah. Chain <laughs> <and his> <laughs> <laughs> he's got a very big farm that he's walking around with his chain and his saw uh, anyway uh, higher or lower than our previous film on travel which was the mighty ducks which scored 23 percent and 64 65 <laughs> oh, i'm not even gonna bother yeah it it's higher time. but you know mighty ducks deserve better than that it did it, really it did 23 <laughs> critical is terrible that but yeah texas chains of massacre 89 critical and 82 percent audience scores okay yeah I'm, I'm confident yeah when yeah. i was looking at the um 
you know, the Mighty Ducks reviews, I was reading like the Rotten Tomatoes and it was weird how like these pretty big, like kind of, you know, prestigious reviewers were absolutely shitting on the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> it was just weird. It was like, have you not got better? Did nothing else come out at this time? Like, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> yeah, very I quiet, it was yeah. a little unfair, Why wasn't you, it? Yeah, yeah you, you're really delving deep down into the Mighty Ducks here. Yeah. It just seemed like, you know what? I did read Rob Roger Ebert's review on that one, and it was essentially like, oh, it, it tried. It tried. Yeah. It's just, Mighty Ducks just isn't that good. But, you know, it's got a nice heart there. It's yeah. like, uh, that's one of the nicest reviews I think they got. But... I don't think he was, was he, I'm not sure if he was a fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, actually, was he? But... You know what? I don't know. Because I've been judging this one, I didn't look too deeply into it. What did you know? Talk amongst yourselves. I'll find yeah, out I mean, what Roger is. Is is a mystery, Roger Ebert, to be honest, mystery, because sometimes you'll get that. like a stone cold classic that everybody holds in high regard and he'll give it like one star and then you'll get some absolute tripe that he'll be like you know what it was it, it you know it did what it said on the tin it was it was enjoyable and he'll give it like four the, stars the funny thing is with me is that i tend to agree with roger Ebert on a lot of the, there's a couple of things that i have disagreed with him on but for a lot of the time he he speaks my language mm-hmm. and i think he's actually onto something with a lot of his reviews me and him seem to have a similar uh opinion on films if he liked it i might like it and if he didn't like it i might not tend to like it but we do differ on a few uh texas chainsaw mask he gave a non-committal two out of four stars oh straight so down the middle he thought it was all right yeah <laughs> he, got, he got a thumbs up but it was, it's it's good it's nothing special you just can't get past his four star thing with roger ebert Dave. <laughs> yeah just get five where's your other star gone roger starring <laughs> roger stop so uh, thank you very much, guys, for your arguments. Thank you very much to everyone who's listened to this episode. Really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to our episodes. If you want more Films on Trial content, go on filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on all the streaming platforms. Wherever you get your podcasts, we'll be there. And also check us out on all the socials as well, at Film Trials on Twitter, Films on Trial, and everything else. We are going to continue our 70s Southern Slasher season in two weeks' time when we put the 2022 horror film X on trial. (laughs) Uh, You know, maybe out of the frying pan into the fire for Alex. Can't wait to hear that one. But in the meantime, what have we learned? Well, we've learned that Toby Hooper is pronounced like the chocolate Toby Lerone, and that maybe it should instead be called the Texas Chainsaw Chase. (laughs) Another thing for you to learn, you you know the Toblerone packet? Yep. Is it there on the Toblerone packet? Yeah, it's in the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Did you have you ever seen the bear? (laughs) It's it's like a very famous optical illusion, isn't it? I've never seen the bear. Someone pointed. You never noticed the bear? It blew my mind. To be honest, I mean, how often are you eating (laughs) Toblerones? You know, it's not like you're gorging on them every day. Really, really hurts. Toblerones hurt. Right. And anyway, like ultimately today we have learned that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a hit and we're going to be directly in your ears in two weeks time as we continue our 70s Southern Slasher season with X. Goodbye. I just catch up on like the horror films and bad action films whenever I'm in hospital and there was one where Winnie had recommended checking out the Mortuary Collection and there was a particularly graphic bit and once again somebody came in to take my blood pressure uh, and like and usually you can just like close your laptop and down a little bit or push it to one side but, but, but this nurse was like oh what are you watching anything decent and he turned it round right and it, it was 
it was just freeze framed on just like the most inappropriate part of it and you just sort of like oh. I'm not very much lost for words but at that point I was like oh, my friend recommended it to me <laughs> Wayne Winnie yeah, you instead of horror films Gav might I suggest the Mighty Ducks trilogy yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.